Well, good morning uh, again, everyone. Uh, it is wonderful to be with you this morning uh, and to spend a little bit of time uh, thinking through Proverbs 8, uh, a part of the Bible that, um, uh, as we'll get to, uh, has actually played a big role. Uh, it's a particularly special part of the Scriptures and played a particularly big role in the early church. Uh, they spent a lot of time thinking about Proverbs 8, uh, but we don't spend much time doing it. Um, and so I thought it'd be fun to jump into that uh, with us today. We're going through a series uh, on campus in Proverbs. Uh, so this is part of that series uh, as we try and think through what wisdom uh, looks like. Well, let's begin with a question. Uh, why are you a Christian? Uh, if you were to be asked that as you flip sausages on a Sunday afternoon at the park uh, or as you wait in line for a coffee with a mate uh, or as you drive down Brighton Road, I says, why are you a Christian? How would you answer that? Uh, there are theologically correct answers because Jesus forgives my sin. Yep. There are theologically incorrect answers like Jeremiah 29, 11. And then there are just bad answers. Uh, one of my first evangelistic moments uh, was getting asked this exact question at a party at uni uh, and then proceeding to launch uh, into a 10-minute dialogue as to why Christianity was an epistemically uh, valid system of belief. Uh, in hindsight, it's astonishing me that I was even invited to parties uh, in the first place. Um, but part of the reason uh, that our answers fall flat in that moment uh, is because we're not answering the question that lies behind the question. Because usually our friends, our colleagues, are not asking us what is the theologically correct reason for belief. They're asking why and how does Christianity make sense to you? What about the Christian worldview do you find compelling? Do you find beautiful? Do you find appealing? Why would you reject all other worldviews and commit yourself to this one? And it goes further than that as well, doesn't it? Because being a Christian then, having committed to this worldview, then involves us making choices about our lives that are inexplicable to the world around us. Why would a doctor choose to work in a rural or low socioeconomic environment rather than an area where pay and lifestyle were better? Why would Matt and Juliet choose to go and work in Indigenous communities? to head up to Darwin? Why might you work a day less a week and volunteer doing it as a prison chaplain? Why might you leave your promising career and go into full-time vocational ministry? On so many levels, each of these decisions is odd to the world around us. But it gets back to this fundamental question. Why are you a Christian? What is compelling about the worldview that would prompt you to make these sort of decisions? So why is it compelling to you? Why make that choice? Well, this is what Proverbs 8 is all about. It is about an appeal to follow the worldview of wisdom. That this is the right way to go. It's the way that the Bible, in a sense, one of the ways that the Bible answers this question, why be a Christian? So I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we are going to jump into Proverbs. So let me pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is truth and that it speaks to us directly today. Father, for those of us who need teaching, please be teaching us. For those of us who need rebuking, please be rebuking us. Uh, for those of us who need comfort, 
Father, be bringing the comfort of the gospel uh, to our hearts. Uh, Help us to hear these words, to have our hearts soft, uh, that your spirit might be at work in us today. pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, we need to begin our exploration of Lady Wisdom and Proverbs 8 today by zooming out a little bit and understanding where chapter 8 sits in the structure of Proverbs. Uh, If we see on the screen there, we can broadly divide Proverbs into two main sections. Uh, We've got Proverbs 1 to 9 and then Proverbs 10 to 31. Both of those start with this phrase, the Proverbs of Solomon. Uh, And if we go to Proverbs 10 to 31, you have in that section what you'd sort of commonly understand to be a proverb, a sort of a short, pithy saying. But if you read 1 to 9, what we get there is something slightly different. What we get there are speeches and narratives. Uh, But more than that, we actually get a narrative that connects all the speeches together. So 1 to 9 kind of operates as its own little section. And this narrative amplifies and digs deeper into the introduction uh, in 1, 1 to 7. Uh, And it does this by introducing us uh, to a dialogue that is happening between a father and his son. Uh, And there are four characters uh, that this son is told to consider. Firstly... There is the royal father himself, the one doing the speaking, and Lady Wisdom. Uh, These two characters embody wisdom, creativity, beauty, and all that is true, beautiful, and good. But contrasted with them is the wicked man and Lady Folly. These are the contrast of the royal father and Lady Wisdom. Uh, These guys are attractive on the outside, but ultimately they represent disorder, chaos, and calamity. And as chapters 1 to 9 unfolds, each raises their voice and appeals to the son to follow them. They make speeches, imploring the son to choose them. And so this question of which path to follow, which person to choose to live for, lies at the heart of Proverbs. And the audience, us, are invited to see ourselves as the son. Which will you choose? In a sense, if you choose Lady Wisdom and the Royal Father, uh, then the logic here is that you can read on to 10 to 31 and embrace Wisdom's worldview. But if you choose the Wicked Man and Lady Folly, then stop reading and go and indulge yourself because, the logic goes, you are a fool and nothing can help you now. But there's something else going on here as well. Proverbs is set against the background of creation. And in this sense, the royal father and lady wisdom, they represent Adam and Eve, but Adam and Eve as if sin hadn't entered into the world. They are what Adam and Eve should have turned into. Male and female, made in God's image, ruling and caring for the creation. And the wicked man and lady folly are Adam and Eve corrupted by sin, exploiting the world for their own gain. And as we go through this section, we're going to see this creation theme keep poking its head up time and time again. But as we get to chapter 8 then, this is the climax of Lady Wisdom's appeal. In chapter 7, Lady Folly has made her speech and attempted to lure the young man into her house. But now Lady Wisdom will paint a picture of a wise worldview. But not just a wise worldview, what a beautiful, glorious, joyous worldview looks like. So let's dive into chapter 8 and listen to the call of Lady Wisdom. So in verses 1 to 3, we have the scene set. 
the royal father as narrator points the son towards the lady wisdom. If you've got a Bible there or are able to see the passage somehow, have a look with me at 1 to 3. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud. Here is Lady Wisdom. She is standing at the highest point where the paths meet beside the gate leading into the city. What does that mean? Well, these are three images that taken together place Lady Wisdom at the place where decisions are made. She is at the centre of society. She is at Parliament House, the village green, the kitchen table. Wherever decisions are made, that is where wisdom is. And she wants all people to hear. The striking point here is that wisdom is not hiding. Lady Wisdom is not sitting at the top of a mountain or in the middle of a rainforest where only the most dedicated pilgrims can find their way to her. She's not put forward a series of tests for the righteous and brave to complete in order to get to her. And she's not at the end of a book or a giant equation that only the genius can grasp. No, wisdom is right where she needs to be. She's where decisions are made and she is accessible to all. From the Prime Minister to the single mum with small kids struggling to make ends meet. Wisdom is there. And she sums it up in verse 17, this beautiful verse. Here's what she says. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. There's an incredible promise in that verse. There's also a beautiful contrast here with other worldviews. Uh, for most other worldviews, enlightenment is some sort of quest. It's a journey. You must follow the five pillars of Islam, or you must reincarnate time and time again until you reach wisdom. Or you must get a PhD from the correct universities in order to qualify for wisdom. But Lady Wisdom is not like that. She has made herself available to all. Whether you are weak and inadequate or feel that you are strong and powerful, wisdom puts everybody on the same level. And the promise is, if you love wisdom, you will find her. But if this is true, why should you want wisdom? Well, wisdom is not hidden. But point two then, why should you want wisdom? Well, because wisdom is truth that leads to flourishing. Wisdom is truth that leads to flourishing. Have a look at verse 6. Listen, Lady Wisdom says, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Wisdom here stakes her claim on truth. What she says is true, right, and just. Uh, the word wisdom here uh, is the Hebrew word chokmah. Uh, which broadly means skilled living, to live skillfully. Uh, to put it another way, the chokmah is about creating, not chaosing. It's about creating, not chaosing. And a fundamental prerequisite for creating is truth. You see, if you have a false view of the world, then you will create chaos. Think about mathematics, for example. If you think that 2 plus 2 equals 5, you are not going to get very far, are you? 
But if 2 plus 2 equals 4, then the creative possibilities for maths is endless. Or think about medicine. If you have a false understanding of anatomy, you are going to run into problems very quickly. Yet, if you correctly understand the body, then you are able to transplant hearts. Or even engineering. Here's Sir Archibald Russell. Anyone know who that is? No, no one does. He created the Concorde, or designed the Concorde, and here's what he had to say about it. Listen to this. When one designs an airplane, he must stay as close as possible to the laws of nature. You are really playing with the laws of nature and trying not to offend them. Every shape and curve is arranged so it will conform with the natural flow as conditioned by the laws of nature. Now, unfortunately, Concorde was discontinued, so it must have offended the laws of nature at some point. But you get the point, right? Truth allows us to flourish in this world. And wisdom gives us an example. The example is of politics. Have a look at verses 15 and 16. She says, By me kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me princes govern and nobles, all who rule on earth. What she's saying here is that wherever societies have laws that are just and that function well, it is because wisdom is at play. Wisdom that allows, wisdom that allows laws to be made that create order and not chaos. In fact, the word issue decree here is the Hebrew word hakak. It literally means to carve. In fact, uh, this was the way that the ancient rulers would literally carve their laws into stone. And as they did so, they would be holding back the chaos around them by creating order and control and peace. They would, whether they knew it or not, be accessing wisdom. But they'd be doing something else as well in that moment. Whether they realised it or not, they would also be playing their role as those made in the image of God. In fact, they would be mimicking the great lawgiver who carved his ten laws into stone on Mount Sinai. So wisdom stakes her claim on truth. By accessing truth, we, hold, we are able to create and hold back the chaos as image bearers of God. We are able to make sense of this world and to lovingly develop it in ways that enhance it and don't harm it. This is why the son should follow her. But she makes another claim as well. Point three, wisdom then is more valuable than riches. Wisdom is more valuable than riches. Have a look at verses 10 and 11. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Wisdom is truth, but because of that, wisdom is then the most valuable thing that you could possess. Look at the imagery that's used here. Wisdom compares herself to silver, gold, and rubies. What do they represent in the ancient world? Well, they represent security, safety, and stability. The ancient Israelite world was incredibly unstable. They had an agrarian economy, which means that you are at the whim of the weather, whether drought or storm or whatever it looks like. The geopolitical realities meant that the small nations around Israel were constantly at war, jostling for supremacy. And that was only when the triple superpowers of Assyria, Babylon, and Egypt were fighting each other and so didn't have time to invade you. This meant that your livestock, your crop, was in perpetual danger. What was your insurance policy? 
where your insurance policy was the silver, golden rubies that you had hidden away, so that you could weather the storm and then buy your way out of trouble again. It's not too different from now, is it? Safety, security come from our investments. Our bank accounts, a good job, a steady income. These are the modern-day equivalents. And this is what our world chases. It's why one of the modern-day political proverbs is, it's all about the economy. Why? Because people will typically put up with anything as long as their economic security is safe. But wisdom says, choose me over that. In fact, she doubles down of it in 18 to 21. She says, with me are riches and honour, enduring wealth and prosperity. And just when you think she's talking about money, she goes on, my fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. Because we all know, right, that money and riches can only go so far. You can have all the money in the world, but one bad investment and it all comes crashing down. You can have all the gold and silver in the world, but we know that you can't buy a loving family, a functional relationship, a caring community, purpose, hope, joy. As Jim Carrey famously said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it is not the answer. Riches are our world's best effort at security, and yet it falls so woefully short. So what is the answer to Jim Carrey's question? Well, Proverbs 8 tells us that it's wisdom. Wisdom is greater than any of those things. If you want security, justice, all the desires of your heart, then choose wisdom. But... What is wisdom and how does this work? How does Lady Wisdom have this power? How can she make such extravagant and extraordinary claims? Well, now we get to verses 22 to 31. And this is an incredibly profound part of the Old Testament Scriptures. And as I mentioned before, an incredibly important bit of Scripture for the early church. See if you can figure out why. Wisdom is not hidden. Wisdom is true. Wisdom is valuable. How is all of this true? Well, because wisdom is the very pattern of creation itself. Wisdom is the very pattern of creation itself. Have a look at verse 22. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was formed long, ago, long ages ago, at the very beginning, when the world came to be. Then we have this birthing language of wisdom being born as the world is created. And then verse 27. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. Marked out is that hakak word again. God carved the horizon onto the face of the deep. See, back at creation, in the midst of the chaos, God was creating. He was setting things in place so that his creation would flourish. He was carving order out of anarchy. Then it goes on, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and we marked out the foundations of the earth. Can you see how this underpins everything that we've seen so far? The reason that wisdom is not hidden is because she is in front of our very eyes in the world that is around us, in God's good creation. And the reason that she is true, because she is woven into creation itself. 
And the reason that she is valuable is because she is the thing that gives all things its value. And how did Lady Wisdom feel in all of this? What emotion did this bring forth as she contributed to the making of the world? We'll have a look at verse 30. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world. Wisdom is animated by joy in creation. And we know this because we feel that spark anytime we create something beautiful, something that works, whether it's a piece of music or an artwork, or whether it is an equation or an essay. When things work, it brings joy. That moment when you are working in line with the Hokmah. But there's something particular that wisdom took joy in. Have a look at the line that I missed out. Verse 31. What is wisdom rejoicing in? Rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Why? Well, because humanity is the pinnacle of creation. Male and female created in God's image, the image of the invisible God. Remember who Lady Wisdom and the Royal Father are? They are Adam and Eve, who they are supposed to be, the image bearers of God, if they had followed God's ways. But what did end up happening? Well, Adam and Eve didn't do that, did they? What happened? They chose a different voice that was calling out to them. One that was created, not creating. And what did that voice tell them to do? Told them to go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We could say wisdom at that point. A voice that called them not to fear God, but to seek wisdom and knowledge from an alternate source. And because humanity as the sun chose foolishly through Adam and Eve originally, and as we mimic this foolish choice in everyday life, so our world does not look like the picture that Lady Wisdom paints, does it? It doesn't look like Proverbs 8. We can make incredible uh, advances in science, or we can create nuclear energy, and what do we do? We make nuclear bombs. Economic advances lead to what? Further income inequality. Medical breakthroughs are monetized for profit. Art is not used to praise and glorify the Creator, but to blaspheme and to numb our senses. Our creativity is used for devastating chaos. So what hope is there for Lady Wisdom? Which is why Proverbs 8 was so important for the early church. Because it was a fundamental way that they were able to understand who Jesus was. Because here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is not just the personification of wisdom, as Lady Wisdom is. Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom itself. In fact, we see this connection most clearly in Colossians 1.15, one of the earliest creeds that we have. Uh, look at how Proverbs 8 undergirds this declaration. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Then we see the same thing in Proverbs 8, don't we? The Lord brought me forth as the first of his creation. Uh, and then, like Lady Wisdom, Jesus is there at the beginning. 
Uh, Jesus is in, through, and around the creation of the world. Have a look at verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Again, this is incredibly Proverbs 80. Notice as well the connection between thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities in Proverbs 15 and 16 that we looked at earlier. But we can go further than this. We said that wisdom is not hidden. She's standing at the crossroads calling out. Jesus is not hidden. He is not hiding in heaven. He is not lurking in the underworld. He has come into this world so that all can know him. And wisdom is truth that leads to flourishing. And Jesus comes into this world and what does he say? He says, I am the truth, the way and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And wisdom is more valuable than riches. Well, we know that Jesus is more valuable than riches. And not just because he's the pattern of creation itself, the one who gives things its value, but because Jesus will go one crucial step further. Why should we follow Jesus? Well, because Jesus is creation's redemption. Jesus is creation's redemption. Colossians 8 has picked up the Proverbs 8 imagery, but watch how it is now reshaped and expanded. Why is Jesus valuable? Well, Colossians 1.19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Wisdom has not just created. In Jesus, he has redeemed creation through his death on the cross. Which is why Paul can link redemption and wisdom in 1 Corinthians 1.30, where he says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. You see, the greatest moment of wisdom was at the cross of Jesus himself. In fact, just a few verses earlier, Paul is able to write this. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So how do we gain wisdom? Well, Proverbs 8 tells us that we gain wisdom when we embrace Jesus. How do you get wisdom? Well, you listen to the call of Jesus and you choose him. Which means that we can read the last verses of Proverbs 8, not as lady wisdom, but understanding that this is Jesus speaking directly to us. Read with me from verse 32. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to harm, to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. Well, we started with the question, why are you a Christian? Well, how does Proverbs 8 answer this? Why are you a Christian? Well, because Jesus is the truth 
that leads to flourishing. He explains why beauty, order, and creativity mean so much. Why you can feel a spark of the divine when you hear a piece of beautiful music. When you divine something that works and assists humanity. Why are you a Christian? Because Jesus is more valuable than anything else. Because our security is not found in things that are created, but in the creator himself. Jesus is more valuable than wealth, jobs, marks, anything that our world has to offer. Why am I a Christian? Well, because Jesus is not just the pattern of creation, but of its redemption as well. It is in Jesus and his work that we can find true joy, true fulfillment and true hope. Jesus, who is the true Adam, the true Eve, the image of God himself. And this is why we can make decisions about our lives and our work that are vastly different to the world around us. It's why we can radically reorient reorient our lives because of all that Jesus has done. Why are we Christians here at Trinity Church, Brighton? Well, because Jesus is not hidden. And Proverbs 8 tells us that we need to choose. Day by day, year by day, this is wisdom. And the question that Proverbs 8 leaves us with is whose choice will you, whose voice will you choose? Let me pray and we'll finish there. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to choose wisdom. Thank you that Jesus is not hidden, but that he is true, he is valuable. He is the pattern of creation, but he is also creation's redemption itself. And so, Father, we just pray that these truths would ring in our hearts and in our minds for this week. Father, shape us so that we can follow true wisdom. Amen.